All right. Well, we've been talking about transformation the past few weeks. We are going through our core value series. We've been doing it all year. We will finish uh, up and maybe even overlap a little bit of the year at the end because there's this thing called Christmas that gets in the way a little bit, but that we love and we enjoy. And um, uh, Christmas, uh, just to, so you guys can plan, is on December 25th this year, and, uh, and it's on a Sunday. <laughs> Celebrating Jesus on Sunday his birth, and um, so you might have all different thoughts about coming to church or not, but I, I, I suggest that the Holy Spirit would lead you to the right thing to do. Um, yeah, so, uh, so we've been going through our transformation series, um, but we went through our presence of God series. We, we, we value the presence of God's a high priority for us at New Life City. Um, we, we, we love that there is structure and there's timelines and things of that nature, but we really do value God's presence and we believe in his presence. We believe it's tangible. We believe that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, that God remains in us. When we receive Christ, we receive the spirit of Christ and that his presence is something of high value for us. And, um, and so we also believe in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer changes things. We believe that prayer is powerful. And we believe that it's a discipline of all of our spiritual lives to actually be actively engaged in prayer. This is something that's high priority for us at New Life City. And if it's not, I'm prophesying it to you if you're still working on it. Um, because this is something that we need to have a healthy spiritual life, to have a healthy Christian godly life. Uh, we need the presence of God. We need a prayer life that's active and engaged. And, um, and then finally, we wanna talk about transformation because the reality is, is if you're in the presence of God and you're praying, transformation starts to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting about transformation is that there's a co-laboring involved. Just like with anything else that God has us do, God starts it, he finishes it, he helps us through the way, but he doesn't do it just on his own. He actually wants your free will involved. He actually wants you to be engaged in the transformation. It's kind of like salvation and witnessing. You don't save anybody. Only God can save people, not you. But what does God do? He chooses to use us to share the gospel. How will they know unless we preach? How will, we know, how will they know unless we speak? Right? So, so God does, God's the one who saves, but he chooses to use us. What's he doing? He's co-laboring with us. This is actually something that happens through a lot of our Christian life. I, I, would, I would wanna say all of it. I just haven't studied it out fully. But yeah, all of it. You know, it's like, he, I mean, I mean he's, he's won the battle. He's paid for our sins. He's, he's forgiven us. He's done all that. None of us could have done that. It's only his blood, only his blood that could actually forgive us for our sins. The shedding of his blood, that one-time atonement that Pastor Josh was talking about. And so that, that's powerful. But it's up to us to come to repentance. It's up to us to ask for forgiveness. Right, so there's this co-laboring involved. I always think, uh, you know, we we here at New Life City do believe that the gifts of the Spirit are active today in the church, and that they're possible. It doesn't mean that everyone has to have every gift or be, operate in every gift. Although uh, Apostle Paul does say, "I I wish that you would desire all spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy." But I also, you know, you know, people who are, would, are seeking God to give them the gift of tongues, which, which is like a heavenly language. And so they're, they're pressing in and they're praying and they're praying and, and they're getting people to pray for them. And 
you know, when I talk to them, because they're like, it's not, it's not happening, and, and, and it is a gift, so it's not like something you can earn, but I always just say, well, are you, are you opening your mouth? Like, they expect God to open their mouth and move their tongue, and that they would just be unconscious, blacked out on the floor, and it's like, well, he doesn't do anything that way, right? Can God heal sovereignly? Absolutely, he does it all the time. You, you know, people just get healed being in the atmosphere of God. They get touched and they get radically healed. But the majority of the time, it's because he has us pray. It's because the elders come and anoint them. What's happening? It's God who's healing. It's not you. It's not me. It's not because I'm, you know, deemed some special person or you're deemed some special person. What's, it, what's, what's, what's happening? He's co-laboring. He's saying, I could do this all on my own, but I've made you and I've chosen to work with you because working with you glorifies my name. The whole reason we were even created was to glorify his name. Does God really need humanity? No, of course not. He's God, right? All omniscient, which means all knowing, omnipotent, all powerful. He's everywhere at all times. He doesn't even need us, but in his perfect plan, he chose to use us. So we need to apply this in the transformation of our lives. It's God who's forgiven you of your sins. It's God who's, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit who's come to us, who, who, who is, is working out this sanctification process, but it's our job to submit to him, and it's our job to uh, work on this process, and we're gonna get into it. So in this transformation message, I wanna uh, magnify and, and emphasize uh, transformation with renewing of the mind. Next week, hopefully, we'll be able to talk about actually transformation through getting free of some little critters that are trying to oppress you. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about how it's biblical, and we'll talk about how that works. And what I'm talking about is the demonic, how, how uh, not necessarily that you're fully possessed with a demon, um, but that something is oppressing you, or you've allowed a stronghold in your life and, and it's not just a natural stronghold, although those exist, but there's a supernatural thing that's even keeping you from being able to walk in the freedom. We're gonna talk about that. But before we go into that, let's continue with transformation of the mind. Matthew 17, two, we're gonna start here. This is where Jesus is taken up to the Mount of Transformation. Um, and it says this, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. This is um, Jesus. He took uh, Peter, James, and John, three of his closest disciples. He took them up to the Mount of Transformation. And while he's up there with them, um, there's this heavenly encounter. Jesus is being glorified as, as, as basically they were seeing him even before the incarnation. They were seeing a, the glory of God just shining through him. And, 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 and guess who shows up? Moses and Elijah, and they're talking with Jesus. And then, you know, Peter makes another statement like, hey, we should just build three temples, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Like, let's hang up and hang out here all day long. And, uh, and then once he says that, uh, a cloud comes and rests on the mountain. And within that cloud, the voice of the Father says that this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's just an amazing encounter that is happening on this Mount Transformation. Now, there was a similar encounter that happened in the Old Testament between Moses and God on Mount Sinai. 
And now in the New Testament, you have almost like a typology, a foreshadowing, which shows that uh, God meeting with Moses and Elijah, the Old Testament one um, signified a new error of a relationship, a covenant between God and man. And now this new Testament occurrence on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and Moses is signifying a new error of a covenant between God and man. A covenant of redemption. A covenant that says, you will now be able to be transformed. Jesus talked to his disciples saying that some of you are gonna see my, uh, uh, the kingdom come in fullness before, uh, and, and me coming back in full glory. And I think that this, this, can, this episode right here, verse, uh, <laughs> is, is the actual, uh, is that fulfillment of that prophecy. The word transformation and transfiguration is actually metamorphosis. It's, it's the original word is, uh, you know, a Greek word called metamorphi. And of course, I'm just horrible with words and names and you just gotta accept that about me. Um, and so the, theolo- the Greek theologians in the room can, uh, you know, just chill. Yeah. <laughs> I know that I'm wrong, okay? So... I know that it's, I, I'm reading the word, I see it with all the, but it's just, um, I can't be great at everything because then it wouldn't be fair. It just wouldn't be fair because I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. All right. But, meta, but it's this metamorphosis. Um, what is that? It's transformation. And, and, and it actually only comes up at one time in the word. And transformation, transfiguration have the same Greek word. It's the same Greek word, metamorphosis. And, and it just makes me remember, you know, if you actually Google metamorphosis uh, and just do images, you know the number one thing that comes up? Yes, which is called a mariposa. Is that right? Mariposa. Yeah, it's so much. Anyway, there's a picture of a butterfly that we have. And, and yes, of course, because the dramatic transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly is so, so crazy, it's so significant, I think that it's the number one associated word uh, or insect to this word. And, uh, and it's just like, look at this ugly thing on the left, and there, I'm sure there's beauty in it, whatever. But, um, you know, and then, I mean, that's what it is. And then it builds a chrysalis, I mean, it just transforms into that somehow, and and, or builds it, I don't even know. But, and then you get that. Look, when I see a caterpillar, like in the ground or on a plant, I'm like, ew. It's like a ground feeder. But if I see a butterfly fly in front of me, I'm like, isn't that thing pretty? That's gorgeous. Let's catch it. No, I'm just kidding. But I, this is... This is a it's, a, it's a dramatic transformation that happens. And, and what's, it's, so, it's such a great illustration because the same type of transformation can happen in our own lives. You won't turn into a butterfly, but you will be, a, the Bible says, a new creation where the old things have been passed away and all things become new. Transformation is not switching from the to-do list of the flesh to the to-do list of the law. When Paul replaces the list, the works of the flesh, he does not replace it with works of the law, but the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. 
The Christian alternative to immoral behaviors is not a new list of moral behaviors. It is the triumphant power and transformation of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says this. He who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not to the letter but of the law, but of the Spirit, but, excuse me, not of the letter, yes, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So this Old Testament law that was, a, was put on before Jesus had been crucified, before he atoned for our sins, where there were no longer need the blood of goats and, and bulls. But now, uh, because Jesus did it once and for all, we can all step into this new covenant. And in that new covenant, there is a death process. It's a death to your old self. But because of the Spirit, we get life. So we're not actually living under a law. We're actually now living in something so crazy called freedom. And it's freedom to empower you to actually do things that you didn't think you could do or you actually couldn't do because it was your old man who was sinful, who was broken, who didn't understand and did not receive the redemption that Christ had to offer. Um, I have a friend, and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'm sure he'll want to give this testimony at some point, uh, but I have a friend uh, that you'll hear later probably, but I have a friend who, you know, he was telling me how he, um, his life before he knew Christ was just uh, the bottom of the barrel. His mind was in the bottom of the barrel. He would drink a fifth of alcohol every night. He was a bigger guy and he would drink a fifth of alcohol. That's like a whole handle, like a whole, I don't know, I don't even know how many, but anyway, it's a lot. Uh, and he, he, uh, had a t he was very social, had a great friend group and all that stuff and, and uh, his mouth wasn't very clean he, he just he, he did not have hope and uh, he actually gets radically saved amazing testimony he gets radically saved and you know what he starts to do he starts to give up drinking gives up smoking he actually starts exercising and loses weight and you know what his friends did they just cheered him on no you know what they did his friends in the world, they had these interventions for him. Are you okay? I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. What are you doing? Are you, I, I, I'm concerned. I mean, he was going to church. He was telling them about Jesus, but they were like, I'm really concerned for you. He's like, you're concerned for me now? I was overweight, like badly overweight. I was drinking every night. I, I was smoking and I've given all these things up. You've seen the transformation of God in my life and you're worried for me. Isn't that the way of the world? It reminds me of this old story that I love called Pilgrim's Progress. There's a newer animated version out uh, if you wanna check it out, but Pilgrim's Progress does talk about how, I think it was Bunyan who wrote it. Am I right? Thank you. Paul Bunyan. Is, is that right? No, John Bunyan? I have no idea. Google it. But it reminds me of that. It's like, this friend of mine got so transformed that when it comes to the world, they see such a difference. They're like, wait, you're, there's something. They're, they're, and this is what I think it is. They're getting so convicted because now they see what purity looks like. They see what God in somebody looks like and they have to make two decisions. Follow or deny. 
And so we wanna talk about transformation of the, of, of the mind. And so obviously the, the key verse here is Romans 12, one and two. Apostle Paul writing, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's just stop right there real quick. Your spiritual worship as a believer is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's your spiritual worship in addition. So like, your spiritual worship is not just coming to church and singing songs on Sunday. If you, for six days of the week, are, are not living a holy life, or not actually working on your sanctification, and you're actually um, uh, submitting to the temptation that's being offered to you throughout the week, and then Sunday you sing a song and you might even mean it, and you're praising Jesus, God sees you worshiping one day a week. Your actual worship to him, it's a worship to him to choose him daily and to say, you know, God, I choose you over this. I choose you over that temptation. I choose you over that lifestyle. I choose you. I choose you. That's worship. All right, let's get to the, the meat of it. In 12.2, it says this, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. This renewing, this transformation happens in renewing our mind and constant renewal of our mind. And, and what's, what's so amazing about the mind is it's very malleable and moldable. Many people will think that the mind is the leader of the body. I don't think that. I think your spirit is the leader, your, your free will, your spirit is the leader of the body, and, it, it, and uh, the Holy Spirit will lead your mind, but your mind is, is wanting to follow something. And what you put in front of it, it will follow. And so we can take control of how we think. So some people say, well, I just, these things pop in my mind. That's who I am, that's how I think. This is my mindset. Well, I want you to know that through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can have a new mindset. I had a friend in ministry who struggled in a certain area of lust and objectification of women, and he was in ministry, and he was trying really hard. He didn't want to do it. Actually, he wasn't even performing any immoral act. It was that his brain was in an old way of thinking. See, for years, he was training his brain to think a certain way, and so it developed a lust issue in his life. And now he's trying to live a redeemed life. He's trying to live a life that's holy. And so all of a sudden, you know, he is, um, uh, his mind is starting to think these thoughts. Why? Because these thoughts in the past created dopamine hits for him. And once you think something, it creates a neural pathway, especially if there's a dopamine hit. And so the more you think it, the bigger that pathway gets. Dr. Carolyn Life, uh, a neuroscientist, says that it actually ends up creating like a bigger path. So it's like it might be a little trail. You think it again and again, and then it becomes a, a, a gravel road. Then it becomes a four-lane highway, right? 
And so now this, this, this friend of mine, uh, one of my roommates, he, he was in this, in this mold until I said, hey man, you don't have to think that. He's like, but I can't control it. It just pops in my mind. I said, yeah, because your brain is looking for that dopamine, but this is what you're allowed to do. Every time that pops in your mind, you need to teach your brain. I don't wanna think that. Verbally say it. I don't wanna think that. And I, I take captive that thought. This is biblical. The Bible teaches us. So I don't wanna think that thought. I take captive of it and I command it to go in Jesus' name. And if you do that every time it happens, your brain will go, oh, that road must be closed. And through the power of the Spirit, it starts to close that window. And now, no longer are these random thoughts, especially in his life of lust, was ruining his day. Because he found a way to take every thought captive that wasn't godly. The Bible talks about, I mean, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, or some translations say, Think on these things or think about these things. What is, what is Paul teaching here to renew your mind? By meditating on things that are pure, holy. That's why, you know, it's funny. Um, you can teach your brain what's funny. You can. It's, it's, it's amazing how different societies have different senses of humor and what they think is funny. And it's not because that just, I, I remember I, I, when I was younger, I took some missions trips to um, South Africa and British Airways is the uh, plane that flies that path a lot and it's the cheapest tickets and so you'd have to fly to London, to South Africa. This is on the East Coast, way easier. Um, and I remember they would, they, it was back in the day where you couldn't choose what was being shown on the, on the video screens, they would have a big, tube TV kind of like hanging in the middle, maybe a projector on the, um, I forget what, um, the bulkhead. And, uh, and what they would play every morning, because you'd wake up in the morning, I, I went there three times over my life uh, in, when I was a teenager, they would play Mr. Bean. <laughs> you might not know what Mr. Bean is or who he is, but I remember seeing that for the first time being like, this is so stupid. <laughs> This is not funny at all. This is what why this is awkward. I hate this. I don't like this. But by the third time, I started to see the sense of humor in it. And I started to laugh at it. Laugh at him. And then I love it. And then I'm like looking up all Mr. Bean shows and and, uh, and I'm getting this English, you know, class of um, of humor. No, I'm just, uh, I'm, uh, and, and I see this even in, in my worldly friends, right? My secular friends, right? They, they are, they've convinced their brain what is funny is actually impure, immoral, right? And you start seeing that and you're going, this is how they develop their brain. But as Christians, we can actually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
and the ability to co-labor with God, take every thought captive. And then all of a sudden, even through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you go, man, I don't wanna listen to this anymore. I used to like the beat of this song and I never really paid attention to the words, but all of a sudden, Holy Spirit, you're showing me some of the things that are being mentioned in this song. And I just don't want that in me anymore. I don't wanna meditate on these things. Just talking to a friend um, who was uh, integral in, in the Jesus gathering, and, and he said, you know, Paul, I, I used to listen, to, he said, I, I used to listen to a news station all the time, it's just, and, and, um, and he goes, I just decided I'm not gonna listen to it anymore because I'd always walk away upset, upset at something that I rarely had control over. And what, ha and what he's doing, he's saying, God was leading him in a way to retrain his brain, to renew his mind, so that he wasn't focused on things that were impure or that were uh, ungodly or not kingdom of God. And, and so this is like so key. So it, when we understand that our mind is a battlefield, your mind is a battlefield, and, uh, and most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. And so if you don't control what you think, you'll never be able to control what you do. You have to be able to control what you think. This, there's, so many there's so many kind of like uh, corresponding uh, examples between our natural body and, and nutrition and things of that nature and our mind. It's like you find out that in nutrition, the what you, it's not just exercise that will help you, it's actually what you put in. What you put in is actually what you'll get out. In your mind, what you put in is what you put out. Are you actually studying the word of God? Are you reading it? Are you, are you, are you listening to worship music? Are you listening to messages that glorify God? Are you listening to things that are wholesome and holy? Or, you know, I'm not saying that your whole life needs to be 24 hours of church service, but you know, challenge yourself. God, what am I feeding my mind? Why am I thinking these things? Why do these thoughts randomly pop in my mind? You know, I, 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 I like eating donuts. They're amazing. They're awesome. But it's like, the more donuts I eat, the more donuts I want. And when I first stop eating donuts, my body still wants them. Now, I could say, well, it's just my body. I just got it. What am I supposed to do? Deny who I am? <laughs> it's my body. It's me. No, what you do is you say, all right, look, I'm going overboard here. I'm stopping for a while. And what, and what happens? When your body stops becoming dependent on that thing, it doesn't crave it anymore. And you're teaching your mind. It's the, same, it's the same principle when we're talking about godly thinking, godly living. Retrain your brain. Retrain your brain. Philippians 4, 7. It precedes what we just talked about. 4, 8 says, think on these things, meditate on these things. 4, 7 says, and the peace of God which passes all or surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus.
when you meditate on these things, when his peace guards your heart and mind, no longer, see this is the way the enemy tries to get, if he can get your mind, he'll get your soul. There's so many people who are, they, they call this term deconstructing. It's like they're breaking down Christianity in an unhealthy way and they, and they lose their, their, their life. They, they, they once lived a life serving God and they refuse a life serving God. And, and where did it start? The mind. Romans 8, 7, it says this, for the mind, I'm making the person in the back work because he's also the camera person, which we need volunteers, so if you feel called to help, please contact Sean in the back. But it says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. When sin entered the world, when sin entered us, it, the, the mind just wants to do things that are self-fulfilling, self gratifying self, and it's not focused on God. What do we do? Through the power of the Holy Spirit and through co-laboring with God, we retrain our brain to follow him. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, we'll, we'll end here in just a second. It says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's amazing how much this pops up in a life of holiness and also renewing your mind. The spirit of your mind is a mindset. Where is your mindset? Is it focused on things of God or is it focused on your old self, your former self? You know, in 1989, there was a movie series that came out called Weekend at Bernie's. And it was about these two college kids who befriend a rich uh, uh, guy at a party, and his name was Bernie. And Bernie ends up passing away, and it's kind of a sick movie, actually. But, um, uh, and I don't encourage anyone to watch it, but um, what they do is they, they end up um, they still wanted to have fun, and Bernie was like their past to all these places and things. And so they carried Bernie, a dead man, around everywhere. And they're like, oh, we're with Bernie, right? Well, it's just so crazy how sometimes us as Christians, that, that old man died in the baptismal pool, and we become a new creation, but too often we go back and we pick up and we're dragging this old man or old woman behind. The former self, not old as an age, okay? We, we, we're, we're carrying the former self around when God's like, why are you carrying that baggage? Why don't you let your mind be transformed? Why don't you let your mind be renewed and start following the awesome path I have for you? You could allow your mind to put you in bondage or you can break that bondage, and you can actually live in freedom. What would it be like to have absolute freedom where your first thought is not always a negative thought? You don't have fits of rage or anger. You don't have bitterness towards somebody. You're not lusting after a thing or a person. You're not objectifying people. 
You're not prioritizing things that are just really, in the end, has to do about nothing, whether it be clothes or material things or consumerism, but your actual mind is now followed onto Christ, and now you see in his perspective, and you're free from all these inundating thoughts that your mind is used to creating. Your dopamine hit now is the presence of God because you think on high things, you think on holy things. You all of a sudden become grateful. You start walking around your house or your room, you go, say, God, thank you for this roof over my head tonight. God, thank you for my family. Thank you, I have breath in my lungs. And now all of a sudden, gratefulness is a dopamine hit, and that's where your heart is, goes to gratitude. Your mind goes to gratitude. Why? Because you've chosen in your heart, you've decided to follow things that are good and pure, and you've trained your brain that way. And so now when something that maybe might be a disadvantage comes towards you, you're like, you know, it's actually not that bad because I still have a shirt on my back. I still have life in my lungs. I still have my wife. I still have my spouse. Whatever it is, whatever you need to do to get to that gratitude. You know, you might start out big, but you end up going, God, God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for freedom. God, thank you for like, you know, like, I, I don't care if I don't have any teeth, God. I just thank you that I have a mouth to praise you. You know, like, it doesn't, you start going down and down and down until you find that, man, he's everything. And now you're living at such a standard that you don't even realize it. Where your friends from your past be like, man, I'm worried about you. You don't gossip with us anymore. What's wrong with you? Why, are you? why are you entering into this conversation that we love to have where we diss people? Why are you starting to talk about, why are, you, why are you getting riled up about political things with me because we love to just come together and argue and not do anything about it? Right, things start to change because all of a sudden now you're becoming an example, a transformation of Christ that you're starting to look like him because you've been staring into the image of Christ because as you look into his glory, you start to reflect what you look like. You're, you're, whatever you're aiming at, you become. And it's such a great, great experience with Jesus. The transformation's key. I don't wanna be a Christian who comes to church for the next 40 years and is the same. Am I better now than I was five years ago? Am I better now than I was a month or two ago? Because I haven't met a perfect person yet. Besides my wife, you're great. You're just, you're awesome. So you're perfect. Right? But I haven't, I haven't met a perfect person yet. And, and there will never be one. But we can, in, in the now, we can slowly transform and be a, 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 a testimony of what God can do in our lives. One of the things I, I love to pray is, God, help me to not be self, selfish anymore. I want to be more selfless. I want to stop thinking about myself and think about others. And, and may my day not focus on me and what I'm doing and how I'm feeling. And, and God, help me to see other people. These are traits and character and things that get put into your life. And we talked about this a little bit last week. I'm gonna land the plane, I, I promise. But, but there's, a, there's a key here. It's called spiritual discipline. And so I'm not trying to make this a religious thing. Because remember, I, I said this in the beginning. It's not what clothes you wear. It's not how you part your hair. It's not if you shave your head. It's not if you have the right. It's, it's none of those things. 
But when you have a spiritual discipline, you're actually choosing God. And, and he says, you say, I choose you, and God says, I choose you. And so there's a daily commitment to saying, I know God, I don't feel like reading my word today or praying or calling my friend and encouraging him. I, I might not feel like I'm doing it. I might not have the motivation to do that, but I'm creating a discipline to do it anyway. If we're waiting on motivation alone, you won't get it. Motivation comes and goes, right? If you're just going like, I'm just not motivated to go to the gym, but if it comes, I'll just go. If, if I'm motivated, I'll go. Just not, and, and you might get motivated. You might go, oh man, I gained five pounds over Christmas. I'm just gonna motivate and do it. And you do it for a week, two weeks, three weeks, and then fourth week, you're like, I lost my motivation. It's not my fault, right? It's the same, it's the same principle. It's like motivation will only get you so far. It has to be a discipline where you choose. You, you, you put a line in the sand. You say, yep, Holy Spirit, I know this is not about a religious act, but I'm choosing to submit my life to you. I'm choosing to think things that are pure and holy, and I'm choosing to do things that are pure and holy. Why? Because I wanna be transformed even more into your image. And this only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, but co-laboring with him, right? Just like God doesn't heal you, I mean, God heals you, even though if someone prayed for you, it wasn't, it wasn't them, it was God. But he used someone, right? We enter into this co-laboring relationship with him, all right? Why don't you guys stand? I just want you to know how proud I am of all of you, how much I love you, how much I have a heart for you, and that I do pray for you guys every week. And, um, and you are beautiful people, right? I'm not just, I'm not looking at anyone. If anyone thinks, man, why is, he, why is Paul harping on me so bad? I'm on a journey, man. I just care where you're pointed. I don't care where on the journey you are. If your journey is pointing to Jesus, I'm cheering you on. I don't care if you're perfect, you know, you're clear, close to perfection like my wife or not perfect at all. Wherever you are on that journey, just, just submit your life to him. Allow him to cleanse your mind. All right, close your eyes. I wanna pray for you. Father, I thank you that you chose us and that you died for us and that you've brought us into this new covenant relationship where we can be with you and you can glorify your name through our life and our body and that our mind can be renewed and transformed by the power of your spirit. And so Lord, we just submit our mind to you. And Lord, we choose, we use our free will to choose you daily to actually have a discipline in our lives that says, I'm going to choose you and I'm gonna consistently think upon good things. And every captive thought, every thought that is evil, every thought that is impure, every thought that my brain wants to hit that is not a godly thought, Lord, we take it captive in Jesus' name. And we break it right now. And we choose you, Jesus. God, I thank you for purity. I thank you for holiness. I thank you for a transformed life and a transformed family and a transformed community and a transformed city and a transformed state and a transformed nation and the transformation of the world. God, I thank you that all that's possible through you. And so we look into your glory. We love you. Lord, I pray for people with physical, mental issues. 
there's actual physical, mental issues, God, I just pray right now that the healing would flow in this room. Lord, many, many people in this room and in this city and, and, and so on, Father, many of them are trying really hard to think good thoughts and trying really hard and there's, there's even mental, physical, physiological, psychological issues at hand. God, we pray that you would wash over their minds, their brain, that healing would come, that wholeness would come, and that freedom would come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Love you. If you want prayer, we want to pray with you. We have uh, people who will pray with you for anything. Just Sometimes we just need prayer to go through something together or whatnot, but um, healing, financial things, whatever it might be, feel free to come forward and we'll have others pray for you. Bless you. I'll see you guys next week. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Have a great Labor Day tomorrow.